RadioInfluence.com. Hey everyone, welcome back this week to Live Bold and Boss Up. Um, our guest today, we have Eric here, who's an expert that specializes in um, contact center services and solutions, business development, sales, customer excellence, and enhanced human operating systems, which is interesting. I want to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's currently the CEO. Uh, and lead executive for business development at Leading Edge Connections. And he's also um, an author of Customer Link, which I thought was interesting, right? Did I say that right? Yeah, it's a customer think. On, customer I'm an author on link. customer think. Yeah. Customer think. Customer think. <laughs> think. Um, I'm, a, I'm just an author on there. I didn't write the website or anything. So, so anyway, welcome. Uh, thank you. Eric Sims. Glad to be here. Uh, we were like just chit chatting earlier and I'm like, I'm excited to dive in and talk about your story. Cause it's, I think it's, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like we've known each other for a little bit just from next path and we'll get into that, but like, I'm learning so much about you today. So tell us your backstory. Cause I think it's pretty remarkable how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I, I moved to, to Tampa in 06 and, um, it was one of those, um, geographical relocation, fix your problems by moving type situations. And it didn't work. It didn't really work out because you know, I was the problem. So I got out here and fell on my face. And, um, so my, my time in Tampa started with me dealing directly with, um, what I dealt with for years with its major drug addiction and alcoholism uh, that it really, caused me a lot of pain in my personal life and in my professional life. And so uh, it was not a fun start. I had moved out here thinking like, hey, I'm going to be like Jimmy Buffett. I'll go to the beach and we'll rent some jet skis and have some margaritas and life will be good. And um, it was more like, hey, I'll drink a bunch of margaritas and crash some mopeds. And, you know, um, you know, just stuff was not, it wasn't healthy. So it started out with me going into rehab, really. It was like my first real kind of adventure here and, and working on trying to get my life straightened out. And so uh, that was how it all began. And then from there, I, uh, I, as I was going through that process, cause it's a long process when you're dealing, I was 34 at the time or 33 at the time. So when you're, you got 33 years worth of junk, you're dealing with this not a overnight, like, Hey, take a pill. You'll be fine in the morning. Um, there's years of stuff to mess with. So uh, I took a good year really out of my life and just focused it on, focused on self-improvement. And uh, about half of that year was spent in treatment. And uh, during that process, you get to work and things like that. So that's how I found the call center business was I had to find a job. And there's not a lot of jobs that uh, I could find that were in the caliber that I used to be working in that were being okay with like, hey, <clears throat> I can only work from 10 to 3 because I'm in, in, in alcohol treatment over here at the local rehab. And that's kind of a turn off in the interview process. So there was a group that was kind enough to give me a job. And that's kind of how I found my way into um, that, the industry, really. So that's pretty um, remarkable. And obviously there's, I feel like there's a reason for everything. Um, and that I feel like you're very successful today. And it's kind of remarkable how you, how you got into it. And you had that drive and that willingness to overcome all the things that you had to overcome. Mm -hmm. So tell us like from there, yeah, how you got so I, you know, I stayed at that, I stayed at the same company, which is a company here in Tampa called One Touch Direct. Um, still love those guys. They, they taught me everything I knew about the business. You know, I had a lot of experience in management and sales and um, not a lot of experience in really long-term success anywhere because of um, 
the, the addiction and alcoholism would cause problems in past careers or even entrepreneurial um, adventures that I've been on. And so uh, these guys gave me a home and I, I decided like, I'm going to stick with this and be like, <clears throat> learn something to be an expert at it. Like I'd never done that in my life. I'd never really stuck with anything. I was always jumping ship to the next thing because, you know, when you're messed up like that, you really have a lot of mask you wear. And eventually if you're somewhere long enough, people can kind of figure out like, something's not right with this dude. <laughs> and so my, my plan was like, I just want to stay and learn, get to be an expert and just kind of see where this takes me. And at the same time, I really needed to, to focus on uh, the personal development aspect of myself too, and not jump too far ahead and try to just jump back into leadership or jump back into being an entrepreneur or any of those things I, I, I thought I might want to go do, but at the time just wasn't ready. And so um, I just took the advice of people that were my mentors at the time and really uh, paced myself out. So I stayed with them for a decade, you know, and, and was fortunate enough to really, you know, departmentally go through each kind of department and work in those departments at different points in time and learn different aspects of the business. Um, and then take that with the stuff that I was doing externally, which was not only working on myself, but eventually I got into coaching and working with other people because it was one of those ways of me able being able to give back. So I spent my evenings as an addiction counselor at the Salvation Army um, here in Tampa, working with guys that were in treatment at that place, you know, so I was, you know, working 15, 16 hours a day, but I was doing that at night. So all of that goes kind of to the the human development piece you were talking about, like, where does that come from? That was where that originated was in really just figuring out how people think and going back into how do you use this stuff that's been so helpful to me to help other people be successful in their career. Maybe they're not struggling with alcoholism or, or drug addiction, but maybe they do have roadblocks, right? Where they just want to be further in their career. Or they are, they're stuck in a sales position and they can't figure out why they can't get over the certain hurdle and starting to leverage that mindset uh, skill set in those environments as well. Right. Cause yeah. I feel like a, a lot of those skills are transferable to lots of areas of your life. Yeah. That was what blew me away. Like when I started looking, I was like, Oh wow, this is, this is really applicable in a lot of ways. It just, you know, I'm a hyper, um, example of like this, but the really, the reality is we all have stuff that, you know, gets in our way at times at different points in time in our lives. And most people, we don't have the skill set. I, I really look at my year of going through all that as a luxury, to, to be honest with you. It was like a school, you know, it's kind of the way I treated it was I had to go back to school and learn how to function and be highly functional, highly functionable in, in different situations. And so it allowed me that time to really study like how the brain works and how I think and how other people think and how to leverage. And then once back in the business world, then how do you leverage that? Right. So it's not just a waste. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that there would be so many of the same like synergies, right. Between what you learned from that and business. That's, that's surprising to me. I love that. Yeah. Cause your yeah. life skills. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, I mean, it's still, I'm still a work in progress. I still have to go through this stuff all the time. You know, this last year was a real challenge, you know, with really all the yeah. changes for everybody. Right. And so right. I had to like bounce back and I had never, you know, we started a virtual company on purpose and, um, and then before COVID and then COVID hit and it was like, I, I started the company so that I could work from home and be around when the kids came home. I wasn't planning on them being home <laughs> right. all the time, you know? Yes. So like that, like I was like most people probably like that was a big curveball, Right. And right. so I had to re like reapply a lot of work and I, I did not do well at <laughs> points of time, but yeah, I feel fortunate that at least I have the tool set. Like I have the tools in the toolbox to be able to, to go do that and then hopefully help other people do the same. Right. Yeah. So, um, leading edge connections, that's yep. your company along with, 
is it your brother or, or? I have, so I have two, two business partners. Okay. Um, my brother works with us as well. Okay. So okay. there's a lot of family in the business. I, I really broke a, a number one rule of like starting a company. Right. And it's like, everybody says, don't, don't get your family involved. In, and there's tons of family involved in my business. <laughs> so, um, and I love that part of it. It's, it does, it is difficult. Um, but it is also fun at the same time, but yeah, LEC, we started, um, yeah, I met Stephanie actually in between I left. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah. talk about that. Yeah. So <laughs> I left one touch because I'd been there 10 years and it was, it was time for me to go do something else. And, and the ownership there and I had a good conversation and I'm still friends with Chris Reed. who's one of the owners in the company. And it was just like, you need to go spread your wings and experience more, right. which was scary for me. That's all I'd known for 10 years, like my whole like sober like productive life right. at that point in time was 10 years long. And it was all in one place with one group of people. That's all I knew. Yeah. And um, so I had to step out and go to a different company, um, got hired on with what appeared to be a great position with a great company. Big, it was a little bigger organization. Um, culturally it was just not a, a good fit. It was awful to say the least. Yeah. I won't say their name just to be nice, but <laughs> it was, it was awful. But it, at the same time, I look at those situations and say they're great because they're, they, they force you to look at yourself differently and they force you into uncomfortable places yeah. to say, okay, maybe there's something else I need to do. And I don't remember how Stephanie and I met, but and it might've been Kelly called I me or something. Kelly, yeah. Kelly yeah. found me or something and called me. And then I started looking around and um, I was going through kind of the job shopping situation with, with Steph helping me out, trying to find a couple of places to look at. And it was in that process. I went through a fairly lengthy interview process with, with one company um, who I actually liked. It was a good process. Uh, but what, at the end of the day, what it showed me was like, there's better opportunities out right. there. And I had always felt like, you know, wherever I am, I'm, and, and this goes back to being where I came from. I was very protective of, I don't really, it challenged my belief system to believe that there were infinite possibilities available for me being in this job that was so bad. Um, and it forced me to look at that and say like, am I limiting myself and staying in places where I believe it's safe because I can easily define it and it's familiar versus really going out and do something I'm passionate about and I love to do. And I experienced that in the process with her and, and, and going through these, uh, this, this organization and came back and was like, I'm done. <laughs> you know, it was like yeah. one of those days where I just, I came in, I was like, this is it. I, I literally, it was funny because it was, I left the interview. I don't know if you know this. I left the interview. The last one I went on, I drove back to the office. Mm -hmm. The guy that was my boss actually was there. He walked in the office. I had my stuff already packed up when I got back. He walked in, I said, I'm done. I said, I'll get, I'll stick around if you want me to stick around. But he was like, I'm done. He's like, no, if you're done, you're done. I said, good. You know, I walked wow. out that day. And, um, I didn't have, at that point in time, there was no leading edge connection really going. <laughs> so I had to figure that out, but I, I had been brainstorming with my partner, John Giuliano, who's out of Buffalo. Uh, John and I met when we were back at one touch. And, I bet um, he's bummed right now, by the way. Who? The, oh, the guy. The bills, the bills. Didn't make the. Oh yeah. He's, well, <laughs> I know he's, he's, he's like, he's in a, he's in a, he's in a weird place because he's a lifelong, uh, Pats fan. Uh, which makes him a Tom Brady fan. So he's, so he's, he's kind of pseudo. He's okay. Fan. Yeah. He's, he feels a little bit validated because he's got the whole Tom Brady proving that he's the real difference maker. And, you, right. know, you know, now he's hosting <laughs> yeah. his own Sorry, Super Bowl party. I, I heard yeah, we can get then. stuck on. Yeah. And, and so I just, I give him hell all the time about being in Buffalo. Like I, I, he's like, Eric won't come up here. He can't stand the cold. It's, you know, but um, great guy, brilliant mind with uh, operating. And um, I had realized in the process going through with Stephanie too, I mean, that really opened my eyes. Like, what do I want to do? If I'm involved with an organization or start an organization, what do I want to do? Like, what what role do I want to play? And there are things that I actually realized that I'm really good at that I hate. 
Um, I don't like them. And so I've learned them being in that environment for 10 years where I was able to go around and do a bunch of stuff um, in, in different roles. But what I realized is there's things I'm very passionate about. And in starting the business, that was why I partnered with John is he's passionate about the other side of the house. I'm real passionate about um, the sales side of the house, the, the networking and growing the, the that piece of the business. And he's very operational minded and loves that side of the business. So it was a good partnership. And then we have a third partner is Kevin Dees. He's an attorney here in Tampa. Um, and he's, he's a partner as well. Great guy. I don't think you'll have, you don't have met Kevin. Yeah. We'll have to get Kevin together. He's a trip. Yeah. So very on, entrepreneurial minded attorney. Right. Um, cool. So if you think that brilliant guy, went to, yeah. you know, went to Miami, went to Georgetown, just brilliant, brilliant guy. And so um, he's, he's a friend I met in my um, experience doing some of the ministry stuff here in Tampa and, and, um, he helped design a, a program from the legal side for us. So I met him through a friend and then we stayed together and I called him up and said, Hey, we got this wacky idea and we got, we have, uh, we have no money and we have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, all right, sign me up. So, you know, LAC was really legitimately a bootstrap company. We, we, we all pitched in, you know, a couple of G's each and, um, and then went at it, you know? And so that was, that was how it got going. You're um, just that, that transition from, the company you were at for 10 years, knowing you wanted to grow, getting into a company you hated, just that that's a great example of what you just described as like being uncomfortable and, and fit, you know, using that uncomfortability to make yourself grow. Yeah. Right. Like I think we always try to articulate that in some fashion, but that was like a great example of. Yeah. I've, I've learned like, and and that's how we, that's how we built the company. So when John and I designed the company, it would, it came out of a conversation where we were having like one of those industry complaint, you know, where you call your buddy and you're like, I hate this about the business and I hate that about the business and this sucks and he's terrible. And you know, these people are doing this and there's no money over here. And you know, all the things that you see when you're in industry a long time. And so, um, the coaching hat went on in the conversation. I said, this is really not a productive conversation. Why don't we do an exercise real quick? And so, although we were virtual, we both kind of got a pen and paper, a whiteboard out and said, okay, on the left side, we're going to write down everything we hate about the outsourcing industry. Cause that's right in your face. It's easy to see. Right. right. So we made this long list. And then to be fair, let's make a list of everything we love about it because we've both been in it like 10, 12, 15 years. And there's a lot we obviously like, or we wouldn't have stuck with it this long. Let's be honest. And so then we made that list. These are all the things we love about it. And so when we sat back and looked at it and we said, well, this could be a company. Like, and so we took everything on the left side and said, we're either not going to do it, or we're at least not going to do it that way. That's right. the rule. Do it right. better. Do it differently. We're either better, different, yeah. or not at all. Right. And then everything on here is really where we're going to focus on designing the business out of all the stuff we love, all the stuff that's fun, all the stuff we enjoy, all the stuff that we feel like we can change. And so that was how the concept came. And so uh, one of the biggest pieces for me was I don't want a building. I got tired of dealing with buildings and, and being locked down to a geographical location um, and all the pains that come with that. Right. There's hiring pains. There's there's attrition pains. There's cost and financial pains. Uh, and, and we could we felt like we could do something. And in our Industry, there was at that time, there was a major resistance to it from some of the older CEOs. They just did not want to move to a virtual model. There were a few that were, had tried it. Um, and there was another piece that we said, hey, listen, we want to approach different target audiences. We want to supply different types of, of work because that's what we were passionate about. So um, we built LEC with that concept, like 100% virtual. And it immediately, you know, everybody knew, like, nobody will hire you. It's going to be awful. Nobody believes in virtual. How do you solve the technology problems? Blah, blah, blah. And we were like, great, we're on to something because everybody's 
right? Like everybody that's in the industry is stiff arming us. Mm -hmm. So um, we did that. And then, of course, what happened this last year happened and we were like. You had to be working. Yeah. Yeah. We've been here for a while. We've already (laughs) been here a couple of years. So felt very validated, at least at that point. Yeah. Which, um, really quick, Mm -hmm. sorry. um, I think it's a good piece of advice what you said as far as like if you're in it, if you're in a company or you're in a role where you're not happy or you see things that are, that are wrong, like write down the pros and cons. And if you've always had that kind of drive to start something like use those things that are on your, um, don't like list and, and change that and make something different. And it doesn't matter what people say, cause you're going to get people that say you can't do it, but you did it. Yeah. I mean, I think for, for me, the, one of the rules that I hope my kids even pick up is like, don't sit in that. Right. Like just, there's always going to be stuff you don't like. And, And I've, I've learned to call that contrast, that contrast that you see is actually helping you find what you want. Otherwise it wouldn't show up. So when you see things you don't like, don't get mad about it. Just understand that this is your brain or or the universe or God or whatever you believe in trying to show you like, Hey, there's other things that you really would enjoy. And I'm showing you what you don't. So the better direct you towards what you do to help you find it. And so it makes the exercise more fun too, right? Because then it's not a beat down. It's okay. This is a, this is a fact finding or a kind of a clue here of some things that I really enjoy. I don't like this, but that means that that's one less thing that I, don't, I can take out of the equation and then look at what I do enjoy. Love it. So. Yeah, I do too. I love that. Did you have something that you wanted to say? I, I don't remember what I was going to say, and but I rudely interrupted It's you. okay. It's okay. It was a good point though. No, but I wanted to ask you like, besides, besides last year, right? Cause everybody had to go remote. Um, I think we were talking about like more and more companies doing, um, outsourcing, right? Yeah. Um, why do you think that is like, what's the kind of catch or what's, what's catching on for a yeah. lot of the companies? I think it's different depending on the, on the industry that you look for. Right. So there's, there's companies that are, well, there's a, so let me back up. There's, there's traditional outsourcing that's been taking place where people send stuff offshore. They find a call center here and you've got that kind of traditional model where like T-Mobile has to outsource a certain percent percentage based on their board requirements. And, and it's smart business too. Like you don't keep everything in all your eggs in one right. basket. Right. And that stuff shifts based on financials, economics, political, all that stuff, move stuff onshore, offshore, all that stuff in our industry. Right. Typically if the Republicans are in office. There's a lot of onshore work. If Democrats come in, they start pushing stuff offshore. It's not them. It's just how it typically happens. Um, it's not good or bad either. It's just, you know, this flows of business. Right. And so, um, one of the things that I think have happened over the last few years is that because businesses are looking at how do we become more nimble, how do we become more flexible and the same mindset we had too, which was, listen, I, I want new talent and technology's opened the door for this, right? Where there were a lot of limitations five, 10, 15 years ago. Sure. Now um, having a, if you're a company in Tampa, but you want to have you know sales reps or customer care people or executives or IT people or whatever it is, in Nebraska, it's not hard to do, right? There may be some things you got to figure out based on what your industry is or what your business is, but what it opens the door to is, is the talent pool, right? And that was a big thing for us as well, is that, you know, now we can go out and get the best person for the job, not the best person that lives closest to the job. Right. And those are two different things, right? And that was one of our things with virtual. One of my, one of my like aha moments was I drew a circle on a piece of paper and said, here's the building. And then, you know, outside the circle is the rest of the United States. Are there more talented people inside this circle of three miles of a building that you know may not be in a great part of town? Or are there more great people in the continent of the United States that can do these jobs? And the answer is 
obvious. I didn't need to get any math or anything done. (laughs) So, um, you know, it opens the door for people to do that. And and the other thing it does strategically for people is one of the reasons people outsourced offshore quite a bit was um, the pay structure, right? It's a lot cheaper. But when you're looking as a company and you're looking at outsourcing, it, it can save you money. But there's also parts of the country where, hey, if I'm in New York, employees cost me X dollars. They're very high because the cost of living is very high, right? But if I can put a percentage of those of those people in Pennsylvania or in the Midwest where the cost of living is a little bit lower, I can still go get really great people and play, pay them a very good living for where they are, but less than what it may cost me to hire somebody in New York, right? So I think people are looking at some of it in that aspect um, and some of it they can do internally. The, the outsourcing piece is more of an expertise and convenience piece. Most of the calls I get from CEOs now are companies that are looking at going like, okay, and we do a lot of sales work for people. And so when you look at sales, there's anything in the call center world from little telesales and telemarketing type stuff. And, and, and we do some of that, but not very much all the way up to like enterprise level software sales or pharmaceutical sales. And we do that as well. So if you think of like a salesperson, it's, six figures in income and selling to CEOs or executives. We, we do that scope work as well. So some of these companies looking like, I don't want to mess with this, like salespeople and this, I'm a salesperson. So I can say this about us is that we aren't easy to deal with, right? We're hard to find. We're hard to manage. We're hard to make happy. Um, there's a lot that goes with us. We are high maintenance. We're high producers, but we're very high maintenance. And again, we're, we're a, a little more of a rare find, than someone who may be doing some other type of work that's a little easier to locate, right? And not as hard to deal with. So they look at it and go like, I don't really want to do it. It's not what we do. It's not our expertise. It's damn hard at the same time. The turnover's high. And so if we outsource it, we can just manage the outsource partner who may be an expert in that um, and, and not have to deal with it. Same thing on the care side, where it may not be what they're doing in their business and they're trying to keep themselves super nimble and flexible and Going into this last year and what I think we're seeing right now, too, is because the economic situation is so uncertain, people really like companies really need the ability to be extremely nimble and flexible, but at the same time, not remove any of their ability to go execute. Mm -hmm. So these specialized centers like us, I think, are going to do really well um, because we're we're not like a a Sykes. Like Sykes is the big brand that, you know, they do a lot of uh, traditional call center work. Um, but I think companies like us are going to have a, a great couple of years because more and more companies are like, you know, we really need to keep our sales revenue going. We really need to have high in care, but we need to do it in a different way and we need to leverage different technologies and we need to be able to flex up and down uh, during these times. And we don't know what's going to happen. Like we have a medical, a couple of medical clients. Well, last year there was like teledoc type stuff, right? Mm-hmm. They went and the reason we landed them was their budget went from like needing four or five agents to manage their their care hotline for physicians to call in, right? right? This is not the John Q public. This is like physicians. And, and there is a, there is a, a patient side as well, but it went from needing hardly anything to through the like un- immeasurable, right? right? Like just, you know, 50% abandon rates. Nobody could get through because the call volume went up so high. So their only option was to, uh, you know, outsource to a different call center that had the ability to do that and manage that at a high level. So that's where I think there's some uh, advantages, you know, and some of the reasons they're doing that. Yeah, that makes sense. Jeff. I feel like you got in at a really good time because when did you start Leading Edge? Was it 2018? 2018. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like you had that kind of, you know, that not um, insight or whatever, not right. insight because obviously no one knew what was going to happen, but you got in at the perfect, perfect time. time. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was one of those moments, like I said, when it happened this last year, we hated, obviously, that (laughs) COVID hit. Like, that's not good for anybody. Right. But the validation of the business model that will stay from that, because what it's forced people to do is, one of the things was that people just were like, I don't get it. How can people work from home and be productive? And those of us who've done it, we're like, you know, I mean, I can be productive wherever I'm at. I don't need to drive across town to go to a building to be productive. There are people that work better that way and they are not good in the virtual environment. They work better. They like to get in the car and they like to go to the office and they like to work. And that's perfectly fine. Uh, But being able to create a model like this was, I think, advantageous for us at the time, obviously, and then very cool for us to be able to still experience. I'm I'm curious to know, um, like, what have you perfected in the sales arena, right? Like, how come you see a lot of companies or like the medical companies or whoever not being able to hit their sales quota and not, you know, not reaching that. And what have you noticed to fix those holes? So I think, and I would not use the word that we perfected. I think because sales and it's, I think we're really good, but I think sales is, I don't know that you ever perfect it because it evolves so fast because the consumer evolves so fast, whether that's B2B or B2C. Um, what I think we've done a good job is first, um, we have some guys on the team that are extremely experienced. Like I mentioned, you mentioned my brother's on the team. My brother's, you know, 30 years of sales experience in a number of different industries. He's a bit of an anomaly in the sales industry. Not a huge guy in technology, but his sales knowledge and his ability to coach and recreate and train salespeople is probably second to none that I've seen. Um, like you look at a guy like Grant Cardone, I always look at like, that could be my brother. If he just had a marketing team that was promoting his name, you know, like from a right. skill standpoint. Right. Um, so I think we have some really talented leadership, um, and we have people who really love sales and, I, and a lot of companies have always shied away from it from the talent standpoint and the, and the oversight standpoint, because if you don't really love it and you don't understand it, it, it is the bane of your existence. It's awful. Mm-hmm. And so the, I think it starts with our passion for it. Right. And that passion leads us to constantly looking for different solutions and different evolutionary phases of what sales looks like. Um, I think our willingness to, to stick with what works, but at the same time, stay on the leading edge of what's possible has done that as well. And what I mean by that is um, there's a lot of companies over the last few years have said like cold calling's dead, outbound calling's dead, doesn't work. And we said, no, it does. Um, you just have to do it right. And you have to have the right people doing it. And so a lot of the people that call us, their biggest problem is they have sales, what they call salespeople. I call them order takers. They're great. If somebody calls them, right. they can do a presentation. They can tell you about it but they don't understand the prospect prospecting aspect of the business. And depending on your business model and depending on um, like your average contract value or what you're selling and the timeline it takes to sell your product or service, it may be more advantageous for you to break your sales process into two or three components, which some people do with us and say, listen, our guys are awful at prospecting. They're really good at converting if we can get them people in front of them. So they hire us to just do that part. And then we hand things off to them, right? So it's quite sales development. Other people look at it and say, like, I just don't want to mess with it. I don't, I don't want to, ha- it's not what I do. I, I got in this business to do X, to be in software, right? right? And I, now I'm realizing for me to sell the product I've got, it's a lot of work. And you've gotten, you know, it's not the day of um, putting something on Facebook and just running an ad anymore and people yeah. just line up and do it. There are some self-service products out there that fall in that ma- marketing matrix that are lower end that will do that. But when you're dealing with enterprise level sales or high end sales, you can't sell like that. You know, you've got to have somebody that's going to be able to dig in and find the CEO or the CIO or the CTO or the director of HR, whoever it is you're trying to get a hold of um, to set up that meeting or have that conversation. So we've had to get really great at having real and virtual 
conversations and starting those conversations from scratch. Right. Yeah. It's, it, that's so funny. It's so, it sounds so simple, right? You just have to like what you do. Right. I mean, cause some there's, there are some executive sales professionals out there that maybe do it out of necessity or maybe they just don't like it anymore. Right. So you have to be able to like what you do, love what you do. You've got to be able to do that. And I think, I think the other piece is, is it's hard. So you have to have those things in place. Like with our teams, we have to do a lot of training and a lot of coaching because, you know, it's, it's kind of like being an offensive lineman, right? Like you don't, at times you're just getting, you're just doing all the grunt work, right? You're just blocking and tackling type. And so um, you get to score the touchdowns periodically, but when you're doing the prospecting piece, you're not scoring touchdowns. You're just blocking people, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, that's, it's the grunt work of sales. And so it's not sexy, right? <laughs> it's not attractive to people and it's hard. You know, like it's a lot of work, but um, if you're minded for it, it's really a lot of fun, but you, we, we have to work hard to make sure that our guys, you know, are staying coached up. Speaking of that, like the, the blocking and tacklers, right? Like, do you incentivize them? Yep. So if the, it moves to a certain point, they get commission, right? So to, mm-hmm. to make sure that they, again, love what they're doing, they're passionate and they keep going and they keep blocking. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, any, anything, anytime we set things up, there's key performance indicators we lay in place depending on the position, right? And so if it's, you know, you're setting demos for a tech company or we're booking appointments right. for a financial company or whatever it may be on that front end, right. they're rewarded for that. Right. And so, cause that's your end game. That's, that's as good as closing a deal for, mm-hmm. for those guys because they've done their job and they should be rewarded. Right. And at the, at the end of the day, it may be the hardest part of the sale because again, with a lot of these brands, once they get in front of somebody and have that the bigger conversation, their solution is, is so great um, that the, the conversion's a lot easier and it's a higher, obviously a higher rate of conversion. Right. Right. <clears throat> Whenever you're hiring salespeople that are non-local or that, you know, aren't here in Tampa that you meet and work with, directly, what do you look for? Like, how do you screen good salespeople that are? Yeah, that's yeah. like, this is, we, I just had this conversation this morning. So it, again, and this is another part. So it's really hard and, and we continue to work on this. So, um, because I mentioned earlier, like they're, they're high maintenance, a lot of them. And, um, there, some of them have, uh, issues, <laughs> you know, cause the way they're minded, it's just weird how salespeople are like real salespeople. Um, so our recruiting process, there's some traditional aspects of, of uh, recruitment where, you know, obviously you put job ads and things out there. But from the interview process, we check some boxes, kind of black and white boxes on their experience, depending on what they're going into. Now, again, if they're going in to do an enterprise level sale for pharmaceuticals, there's different experience requirements that we're looking for uh, and, um, and skills than it would be if they're going to do a prospecting job or maybe uh, a telesales job for a lower end type of uh, sale. Right. Where it's, hey, we're calling somebody, but the sales price is two hundred dollars or three hundred dollars versus fifty thousand dollars or one hundred thousand dollars. Right. Um, so we, we go through and build. I, I Our first step is we when we're looking at a project, we look at the ICP of the customer, the ideal customer persona of the customer. Right. That we're going to be calling. OK. Then we back into what are the what are the functions of the job that are going to need to take place in the sales process for them to be successful at reaching uh, and and talking to or engaging with this person and closing this person. So now we have who you're talking to and how and what needs to take place for us to back in to build what I call an ideal agent or ideal associate persona so that I know who I'm targeting. Then from there, we can turn and say, okay, do we need to find these people on LinkedIn? Do we need to find them on Indeed? Do we need to do something different, which is where I'm leaning towards these days, which is I really want to get into uh, some stuff where I think eventually we'll see ourselves open our own sales school. 
uh, where people can enroll and get certified and get trained. And then we'll start building our own force from there. That's really my dream of it. Um, because, um, it's, there's, there's a decline in the type of person we need based on how kids are coming up and the way they communicate. Um, now granted, we'll see a shift in how things are sold as well because the consumers are going to change, right. but I think there's going to be a bigger need. And so right now we're really targeting a lot of college guys. They're coming out of college. They're young sales guys. Um, I love athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, they are sales minded guys. Most of the guys that have been in sports in some capacity, I shouldn't say guys, people, because there are, <laughs> as a dad of three girls, um, the three best athletes in my house are female. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, but whether it's male or female, like they're, you know, the athletic mindset right. of, of that, I don't know what it is growing up, but I think it's just the challenge and, and of doing those things and being coached and also liking the challenge of like winning and losing right. and they're that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. the competitive edge there. So, but we, when we walk them back through a hiring process, there's that we, we run them through some script analysis and test them out to see how they do in certain scenarios. How do they sound? Um, what are they like? What are they not like? What are they engaged with? What are they not engaged with from a content standpoint? Uh, and then from there, uh, the, the last test is I get to sit down with my brother. He's not an easy person to, <laughs> to, uh, to, to get past. I mean, so background on him is he's, he's a sales guy who was an MMA fighter as well. So he's definitely, uh, a intimidating. Yeah. yeah he, he, but luckily it's not person. Cause he's very, he could be very intimidating person, sweet guy, but he can be a very intimidating person, <laughs> but, um, he, he's definitely, he has that sixth sense where he can pick up on, on salespeople. And, and, uh, and, and unfortunately we've got to figure out a way to scale that because <laughs> he can't be the only person. Right. Uh, but on the higher end stuff, we, we pretty much leverage him too. So, um, a lot of tech uh, in that process. Uh, and then the recruitment, the recruiters as well. So that's interesting. I wonder if he has that ability because of the MMA, like, don't you have to read your opponent and kind of like yeah. feel them out and know what you, you know, or feel like, you know, the, their next move. Right. Thank you. Wait, their next move. Yes. I think he's, he's very good at reading people. Even if you're not in front of him, he can pick things up. And um, I think that does come from that and from his sports background. He was a catcher for play baseball all the way through college and stuff. So um, he understands how to read things very quickly. And um, so I think that's helped with that too. And so, you know, now we're having to transition, like, how do you teach somebody else this? Cause you know, that's, that's a single point of failure. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's great that we have you, but you know, as we scale and get bigger, we're going to need to figure out some way to do this a little bit differently too. So right now it's uh, a bit of, a bit of all that, but I think um, long-term it, it's really going to come down to us creating our own pipeline um, because of the challenges with, and you guys know this, yeah. it's hard to find good people, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of competition out there and the market changes. Sometimes it's saturated and sometimes it's not. Right. And sometimes you know, there's lots of job openings and sometimes there's not. And so um, being able to control that a little bit, I think, is is one of the keys that we're looking at is how do we create our own um, pipeline, our own uh, system, our own way of bringing, attracting people that may be a little bit unique versus just apply here. You know, maybe it's maybe it's a sales school, you know, when we bring people in or maybe it's a customer experience or customer We've been talking about sales a lot. We do a lot of customer care too. So maybe it's a customer care school for people that want to get involved in customer service or customer experience uh, and start building our own, you know, people. Yeah. You'll have to keep us posted. Okay. I love, I love hearing like, you know, you've created something, right. And you're just, you're still thinking about how you can do more and do better. So you'll have to keep us posted. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's goes back to our name is leading edge is, is, is part of the name is that we want to be on the leading edge of what's possible all the time. 
And so that means constant evolution. Like we can't, and that's one of the things that I've, I've written down, I've got it down because I've seen guys as they get older in business and they get comfortable, yeah. they get very resistant to, to new and different things. And so um, I had a statement that was really embedded in my brain for a long time. I never used it, but I still remember it was one of the slogans from a company I was with a hundred years ago, which was open to change as we grow. Um, and and I, that stuck with me that that's like a real great principle to put in place is just always be open to change as you grow because things evolve and in today's world, they evolve so fast. If you're not, you're going to get left in the dust. So yeah, yeah. hundred percent agree. Um, we're going to get into like a couple rapid fire questions. So like quick answer. Okay. First thing that comes. I'm not good at quick answers, but uh, (laughs) you can tell. (laughs) Um, so my first question, and I was just, um, you know, I came up with this as we were sitting here talking, what's the best piece of technology that, okay. What is the best piece of technology to increase sales or for salespeople to use like in your, in your uh, opinion? So if, if I think it's still right now is a, it's a CRM tool, right? Um, There's different versions of it. So depending on what type of sales you're doing, one may be more applicable than others. Um, I think companies like Outreach IO and Sales Loft are doing a great job of figuring out new ways to keep people connected and use omni-channel approaches to um, create conversations. So like those would be two examples of, of two platforms I really like, not that I don't like Salesforce, not that I don't like some of these, you know, pipe drive and some of these other ones out there. I'm really agnostic when it comes to that. I'll shut up because that was good. No, no, that was good. That was good. So you, you obviously have a lot of things going on, right? Like creating a company, being a part of being an author of a book, right? And then obviously seeing what's next and like, you know, growing, but how do you keep yourself organized? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, so I think I did a better job at it pre- pre-COVID. Right. And that's one of the things I've had to recenter. It really threw me for a loop um, because with the kids and then working at home and some of the stuff, it really challenged me. So um, I mean, I do some of those traditional things, which is like make a list and that kind of stuff. But I, right, right now, if I had to answer that, I, I have to put what's most important first. That's, that's for me, that's what it is. So if I'm no good, I can't be any good for anybody else. Mm-hmm. So the first thing on my calendar every day and the first thing that's on my list each week is my own mental mindset, like mindfulness, uh, meditation, uh, getting into those basic practices of saying like, okay, um, what are some positive things I can do to start the day off, whether it's positive affirmations or for some people, maybe prayer or whatever it may be, but I've got to get centered first on who I am, where I'm from and what I'm about so that I can go into my day properly. And so that's, that's the answer. Yeah, no, we, we <laughs> talk about that all the time, yeah. actually. So that's yeah. perfect. That's yeah. We agree with you. Yeah. And we've talked about this before on one of our podcasts. Like, it's worth it to take that five to 10 minutes to meditate or, or just reflect and, and plan your day, visualize in order to be successful. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Right. I'm like, I love like Dispenza and some of these guys. Like, I read, I have a reader. I just read Matthew McConaughey's book, which was actually oh. really good. My I'll husband's be, in the middle of reading. It's, I read I, 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 there's very few books that I would say are hard to put down for me. And I think for this, for, and I don't want to get too sidetracked, but green lights. Um, <laughs> so he's from Texas like me. And I think it helped because I can hear him when I'm reading. Like you can hear his right, voice and it's totally. written in such a way that's so phenomenal, but it's open. It has refreshed me this year in this way that I'm talking about of being able to look at life and say, you know, and he calls them green lights, but looking at the contrast that's going on in your life and understanding that a contrast it may be called a red light, a red light always leads to a green light. So it's not, there's not these catastrophic moments that are always going on. 
Um, there's just change that's happening and opportunities that are getting ready to take place. So anyway, that's mindset's huge, you know, mindset and belief system, right? Like what, what matters to you and getting that set up properly for family or whatever it is. So like for me, it's that get my mind, right. Put things in order. You know, although the business is extremely important, there's nothing more important than my wife and kids. Like, you know, that, that comes out after me. Um, and then from there I can go take care of everything else. Yeah. Um, so what is your biggest piece of advice to someone going through challenges or struggles like you went through, like what, what piece of advice would you give them if you were talking to your younger self or someone that's going through something similar, how to get through that? I wouldn't talk to my younger self. I would would get physical, (laughs) um, because I wouldn't have listened, but I think the, the, I think the biggest changing, find a way to love yourself enough to identify what you care about in life. I think for me, if I go back and like, I, I didn't, I didn't love myself. And when I've dealt with other people that are struggling, there's an element of like not being in love with who you are and understand that your uniqueness and the things that you love in life and the things that make you weird or quirky or scared or whatever it is are the most beautiful things about you. And so fall in love with that. And then things will start falling in place. Yeah. I think well said. Yeah. I, Mm -hmm. I agree. I do like your point on, um, you, you said like, like fall in love with yourself. Um, I, that resonates with me because I've been in corporate, like HR recruiting roles in my past. And I always felt like there was probably one or two companies that I really liked, but there were the majority of them. I never felt like I could be myself. I always felt like I had to be slightly different or just, just this, type of person that they wanted you to be and nothing ever felt right or clicked. And so that resonates with me because I felt like, okay, I didn't love myself enough to realize like, this is, this isn't working. I have to be myself to, to, you know, do well or really, you know, that's, I, I actually ended up writing and this will probably end up being the book. All right. But I wrote a a course called you Inc. Like a while back when I was doing all the coaching stuff. And it really is. The whole point of it is, is like, you can't figure out what you want to do with your life until you understand who you are and fall in love with that Mm -hmm. and then be okay with that. Like if you're, if you, if I use the word weird, but nobody's really weird. You're just you, Mm -hmm. but if you're different, that's okay. Difference is really where impacts are made. Yeah. You know, everybody trying to be the same doesn't get anybody anywhere. Right. But I understand where you're coming from because I've been in those environments where you're like so consumed with what's the right thing to say that you don't even really get to give any input or provide any value. And the ultimate value add of every human being is you. Right. Like you're the value add in each situation. Like that's, and it didn't dawn on me to the end of my corporate career. I was sitting in a meeting. I'll never forget this. It was at one touch. I was like, I've been in these meetings, these executives forever, and they'd always ask questions, and I'd always be like, what the fuck? Is Why are they asking <laughs> stupid questions? And it dawned on me. I was like, they don't know the answers. Like, if they knew the answers, I wouldn't be sitting in this room with them asking the questions. They're not asking these, like, as trick questions. Right, right. Like, I always felt like it was a trick question. Like, I'm <laughs> right. like, shit, what's the answer supposed to be? Uh, 17? Right, you like wait you're till in somebody, school or yeah, something. Like, right. waiting for somebody to answer, and then it finally dawned on me, and I felt so empowered. So I was like, they don't know. Mm-hmm. And they're, guess what? There's multiple right answers. It's not so black and white. Like my perspective could be a great perspective. Bob's perspective could be great. Susie's could be fantastic. And we could all be right. Or we could all take all our ideas and make one big idea that's even better. But if we're all scared to shit to say anything, none of that, none of that happens. I think that's what some businesses, the culture of being open and letting people create like that is why they do so great. Like that's why Apple 
does as great as they've done is they've encouraged people to be themselves. Right. right? So, and then align with, you know, where they're going. But anyway. No, I love that. I love, I'm like totally in line with you on your philosophies and your, and your views. Mm -hmm. And I think this is kind of just a side note. I feel like with social media today, it's hard for people to really like be themselves because you you post things that you, that you want everyone else to see. Yeah. Paint this picture. What's going to make people mm -hmm. talk to us. Right. This was an awesome conversation, Eric. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. I feel like could sit here and talk all day. I know. I like I talking it. to her. I, she's I, very quickly becoming a friend. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Thank so. you. Don't steal her. She's my bestie. <laughs> so. Thanks, Eric. And thanks, Next Path. And until next time, live bold and boss up. The one area holding the greatest potential for pushing your performance forward, your brain. Your brain is kind of like a computer. You have the hardware, which is the brain, the nervous system, and the organs that provide all the feedback and information that make the system work. And then you have the software, the attributes and traits that make up the individual, things like personality and attitude, approach and decision-making, among others. On this week's episode of Crush Performance, we begin to put it all together by looking at how it all works and how we can influence this invisible part of human performance we're calling the Crush Brain Game. Crush Performance with Jeff Crushell can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.